It's good to see you again. We're going to continue our study from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. I don't know how many of you heard of Joshua Bell. He is one of the world's greatest violinists. He's won a Grammy Award and many, many other achievements. His instrument, his violin, is a 300-year-old Stradivarius violin, which was made in 1713, which is the finest instrument and worth more than $4 million. People pay hundreds of dollars to hear him play. And a magazine said that his playing does nothing less than tell human beings why they bother to live. And one composer says that he plays like a god. But in January 2007, Joshua Bell took part in an unusual... He donned a baseball cap. He pulled out his Stradivarius violin, $4 million instrument, and he played incognito, which he disguised himself as a busker at a subway station at Washington, D.C., and you can watch that on YouTube just by typing his name in there. And uh, over thousands of people just walk by, pass by, and uh, hardly anyone recognize him. And few even st stop to listen. Most of them just walk past him. And for his 45-minute experiment, uh, he collected about $32. Uh, just only one person gave him a $20 note because that person recognized him. Some people just gave him pennies. Despite being one of the world's greatest violinists, playing one of the most valuable instruments in existence, people passed him by. They didn't realize the value and beauty of what was right before them. And in some sense, this is what Paul was trying to bring across editions. He's trying to make it very clear to the Ephesians, the believers, the Gentiles, who recently came to faith, and the mystery has been opened, that God's plan includes the Gentiles, not just the Jewish people, and as well as to us now in the 21st century, that who we are in Christ is so important. And Paul again and again is trying to bring across this important aspect that he began to explain to us just, just what has been going on among them. We are all participants, Paul says, in the great cosmic drama of the triune, triune God that has been going on before the world began. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ that we looked at last week. We have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been ransomed, forgiven, included in Christ and seated with the Spirit. And it would take a lifetime for us to unpack and meditate on these spiritual blessings that we all have received. And so Joshua Bell is a great violinist. But Paul says that we, or this little church in Ephesus, the people there who just came to know the Lord, and us has an identity that is greater than that of any living person. Joshua Bell has a $4 million Stravidavarus violin, but Paul says that we have spiritual blessings that are priceless. And so Paul is trying to make sense to us 
that you need to know, you need to really understand who you are and what you have because it will transform everything else. And so as we pick up from verse 15 of chapter 1 in Ephesians, Paul is making a prayer. Paul just mentioned about all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ from verse 3 to 14. It's just one sentence. One sentence from verse 3 to, to 14. One after another. And now, when it comes to verse 15, he uttered a prayer to the Lord. It's almost like whatever he had just said, he translated that into a prayer. And so let me just uh, ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it will be helpful if you keep it open and stay on the text because we don't have PowerPoint here. And I know sometimes studying doctrines and New Testament texts, unlike the Old Testament, it's a plot, a narrative. Is it? Is harder to follow. So to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'd like to read from verse 15 to 23, and I'd like to unpack this prayer that Paul uttered for the Ephesian Christians and us to you. Verse 15 says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. I want to give you two points, two points that Paul prayed for. But before I come to that, I want to cover verse 15 and verse 16, and I'll give you two points on that. Verse 15 simply says, for this reason. For what reason? What reason is Paul talking about? What reason is Paul referring to? It is obvious that Paul was referring to what has already been said in verses 3 to 14 about the blessings that the believer has in Christ. Paul said, I'm so overjoyed and looking at all the blessings that we have in Christ. And for this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. Paul was overjoyed. Although Paul was in prison, as I mentioned, this is a prison letter. Paul wrote four letters in the prison, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And although he was in prison, he constantly received visitors, so he received some updates as well of uh, 
the church in Ephesus that he spent three years there. And so he heard about them, heard about wonderful things about them. Two things that Paul mentioned that he heard about the people there. They, he heard about their faith and he heard about their love. He says here, I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. He was overjoyed. How beautiful, isn't it? To me, that is a clearly two marks of a genuine believers, a genuine Christian, a genuine church must display these two traits. He mentioned that the two cardinal marks of a true Christian, faith in Christ and love for other Christians. And because of that, he said, I heard about that. It is evidence about your faith and it is evident about your love for one another and for others. And for that, I praise God. For that, when I heard about that, I give thanks to the Lord because this is what it's all about. This is what gospel is all about, that you have faith in Jesus and that faith translates and empower you into be able to live out the life of love. Two marks of a genuine salvation, faith in Jesus and love for all God's people. And Paul heard say that because he heard about all this, these two marks, that they displayed in the church, he gave thanks to God. And he says this about two things in prayer. That I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And immediately I look at that. If I ask myself, what can I learn from Paul with regards to his prayer? I said two things. He always prayed with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I remember when we were doing the book of Daniel in the KYB, in Daniel chapter 6, when after the edict was issued and no one's supposed to worship any god, and Daniel went up to his room, faced Jerusalem three times a day, he bowed down and he prayed just as he had done before, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. Despite of the crisis that loomed in front of him, he gave thanks to the Lord. And here Paul again said this, I have not stopped, I have not ceased giving thanks for you. Two lessons on how Paul prayed, isn't it? With thanksgiving, he said, I never cease. I mean, regularly, consistently, unceasingly, he prayed for them and thanking God for them. The faith that they display as well as the love that they were able to show to those around him. And after commending them on the two wonderful virtues, he gave thanks to the Lord. He tell them that he continued to pray for them. And then from verse 17 onwards to the end of the chapter, he bursts out in prayer. He prayed for them, the remaining part of it. And this remaining of the chapter is a petition in which Paul prays for God to give believers true comprehension and appreciation of who they are in Jesus Christ. Almost like a repeat of what has been said in chapter 1, uh, verse 3 to 14, just that he kind of summarizes it and makes it into a prayer to the Lord after he has spoken that. Just like us preacher, you know, we talk a lot and in the end we try to summarize up again and pray about it in, in the end just to reinforce that. So Paul prays for God to give believers true comprehension and appreciation of who they are in Jesus Christ in order that they might live, 
they might begin to have some idea of how magnificent are the blessings that already belong to them in their Lord and Saviour. So Paul is telling us in, that we should not become entangled in a quest for something more in the Christian life, for something special, something extra that the ordinary Christian life does not possess. Some talk about getting more of Jesus Christ, more of the Holy Spirit, more power, more blessing, a higher life, a deeper life, as if the resources of God were kind of divinely doled out one at a time like so many pharmaceutical prescriptions or were unlocked by some sort of a spiritual combination that only an initiated few can know. There is no greater tragedy than to search for a remedy that we all possess. So in short, our tasks are not about searching and striving for more and more, but it is about discovering and unlocking what we already have. And that is what Paul is trying to tell us, trying to convince us. You don't have to search for more. You already have. You just need to unlock it and say that this is already given to you. Spiritual blessing is already there. That when you come to know the Lord, when you baptize the Holy Spirit, begin to descend on you and He lives in you, all the spiritual blessing in Christ comes upon you at, at that time. You just need to realize that. And Paul said, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that your spiritual eyes will be opened. You will recognize and understand all that you already possess. So stop searching for more. Discover what you already have. That was what Paul's prayer is about in the ensuing verses from verse 17 to the end. And so two things that Paul prayed for them. The first one is Paul prayed, it is a prayer for spiritual growth in knowing God. Spiritual growth in knowing God. It says here in verse 17, you say, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, for what? So that you may know Him better. So it was a prayer. He was, he was praying for spiritual growth in knowing God. You know, <laughs> There are two types of relationship in general. The first type is what we call transactional relationship. I can go to a bank, I can go to supermarket, I can go and go anywhere in a hotel or for that matter. It's a transactional relationship. I go there, I buy something, I pay the money, and then I move on. But there's another type of relationship, it's a personal relationship. It is not just transactional. Relationship with friends, wife, husband, children, parents, friends, good friends, church members, they are not transactional relationship. It is personal relationship that goes on. There's something that we can share, we can talk about. And here, Paul, here about knowing God is not about transactional relationship. Although I would say that there are some people may come to God as a way of transactional type relationship rather than a personal type relationship that is going on. It's about God blessing me, getting things from Him, and all that. All our prayers is about wanting something from Him. 
that it may be just transactional type of relationship. But Christianity is not like that. It's not transactional. It's more personal relationship with God. And here Paul is praying for that personal relationship that we may know Him better. Not just accumulating knowledge, but know Him better in an intimate way to know this God. It is the second type of relationship, a personal one that we enjoy with God. God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, knows us and He brought us into relationship with Him and He wants us to know Him better. And therefore, Paul here prayed. He said, I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. There's this posture, that this attitude that you will possess, this wisdom from God, this revelation that you may know Him better. Again, he implies that we already know God. But he prays that we will, with the help of the, the Spirit, know Him better. Paul almost said, let them, Lord, let them know how much they possess in your Son. Give them a keen, rich, deep, strong understanding of what they already have. And he prayed for the Holy Spirit to give their spirit the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge to us and help us to illuminate and understand this spiritual blessing that we already have in Christ. The great 20th century English preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, Our supreme need is to know God. Our supreme need is to know God. And Scripture is not strange from that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There are many parts in Psalms and Proverbs it talks about that as well. And, and Martin Lloyd-Jones contemporary, J.I. Packer, died last year. Keen Mai wrote a book that changed my life called Knowing God. Knowing God. Wonderful book, Knowing God. He says this. I mean, he's writing in the context of uh, 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 England. He said, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives as it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square, and leave him as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad and painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through lie blindfold as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. And this last sentence is important. This way, you can waste your life and you can lose your soul. He's referring to Christians. If you do not know God, he said, this way you can waste your life and you can lose your soul. Knowing God is paramount. And starting point is here, Paul is praying that God will give us this wisdom and revelation that we will know who we are in Christ, what we already possess in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that we have already in Christ. So Paul's praise, pray. 
that beyond everything else that we will know Him better. So that you will know Him better. Second thing that Paul's pray for, not just only praying for spiritual growth in us in really knowing God personally. Secondly, he prayed for enlightenment about spiritual blessings. He prayed for enlightenment about spiritual blessings. And that is from verses 18 right out to the end of verse 23. And in this prayer for enlightenment, he highlighted three areas. Out of all that he already mentioned in verses 3 to 4, he kind of recapped it and, and put it into another three points of what he specifically asked for. Look at verse 18. He says this, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. That's number one. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, number two. And number three, He, he also prayed for this incomparably great power for us who believe. He prayed for three things. He said, I pray that, Lord, you will enlighten their, their heart, their mind to recognize these particular three things. This hope, is make it easier for you, hip. You think of hip. H-I-P. Hope, inheritance, and power. He said, I pray, Lord, I pray the eyes of their heart may be enlightened so that they may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance, number two, and then His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then from verse 20 to 23, He expands on it and say what this power is like. And He went on to spend three verses loaded with all these beautiful things about Christ, that this power is exactly the same power that God raised Jesus from the dead. So like the commuter who passed by the violinists without realizing what was right in front of them, it is possible for us as believers to breeze by what God's plan is without really, really taking it in and recognizing it. It is why Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. The prayer is that we will really understand and see the light of God's salvation in three areas, as I already mentioned, hope, inheritance, and power. Let me very quickly just expand on that without going into very much detail because we already covered in some sense. Uh, the first one is hope. Paul prayed that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to the hope of which he has called you. Paul says that I pray and I hope that they will be sure of this hope that they have. This hope is not maybe that what we use in the way in our context. I hope to see you. I hope we can meet again next Sunday here at church service, preferably no more restriction. I hope, I hope, I hope. That is how we use hope. But biblically, the hope is not maybe. In the Bible, hope is always certainty. Hope is certainty in the Bible. Paul prays that they will see the hope that they have. 
the sure and certain expectation of future, their salvation, future life, and all that. That is not just this current earthly life that you are bound to, but expecting a new heaven and a new earth in the future. Our hope is rooted in the past. God called us to this hope. It was His purpose from eternity. But it is something we look forward to. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart are open so you see, really see, the hope that you have. And when you're able to know the hope that you have, nothing here on earth will discourage you or cause despair to the extent that you can't, you lost the will to live your current life. Look to the hope. There is hope. There is hope. Secondly, Paul said, what I hope, I, I pray for you, not just only you, there's a hope, but the second one is the glorious inheritance, the riches of His glorious inheritance. There are two ways of looking at it. You can look at it as in saying that it is the inheritance that we have in Christ in the future or now that we can experience all this. But the other way now is also that we are God's inheritance. If you look at it, the way it's being written in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So one would be for the believers to understand the inheritance that they have in Christ since they are adopted as sons. When my mother died, when I reached 21, I received an inheritance. Because we were so poor, my inheritance was only $600. $600, that's all I got from my mother. $600. But that's not the case for us believers. We have a great inheritance because we are adopted. And so one way you can look at it is that we will have this great inheritance. But it will be easy for us to stop here and rejoice in what we have in Christ. But there is something else here that we need to understand. Here it says that we, we can look at it as see that we are His inheritance. We are His inheritance. We are God's inheritance. This inheritance is more than what we get. It is also entails that we are His. We are God's. We are His treasure. There is something that we need to really think upon. The magnitude of that statement should humble us, encourage us, and motivate us. God's people comprising both Jews and Gentiles are His inheritance, His own possession, in whom He will display to the universe the untold riches of His glory. You are valued even when you don't see it in yourself. You are treasure. Can you imagine, come Christmas time, you're taking part in the gift exchange and you pull a name out and you are supposed to buy gifts for Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Warren Buffett. You, you draw the name. You're supposed to buy a gift for them. What do you get them? What can't these people buy for themselves? What do they need? 
what does God want that He doesn't have? Amazingly, the answer is that we, His people, are His glorious inheritance. God places extraordinary value on us, even though some of us may not place any value on ourselves. Paul prays that we would really understand the hope we have and the extraordinary value that God places on us as His people. And thirdly, Paul goes on to ask that, our, that God will enlighten the heart of our the eye of our heart to recognize this, the third things, His incomparably great power. And His incomparably great power for us who believe. And then He went on to this great exposition on this power, what this power is all about. He, he said that this power is the same as the mighty strength. It's the same power that... He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rules and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, and on and on and on. It's about the resurrection power. It's about the ascension power. It's about the dominion power. We have this call of God that I mentioned, which is the past. We have this hope, the reality that we are God's inheritance, which is the future. But what about now? And now, Paul says, we have this power, these resources that we have to live are amazing. Paul prays that the Ephesians will know this power that they possess, the same power that God raised Christ from the dead, the same power that has enthroned Him over all people, the same power that has placed Him as hate over all things for the benefit of the church. There is no power that can stand against His. And this power is working on our behalf right now in the present. And Paul prays that we would know it. And of course, as I painted to you in the first session about the background of the Okao with the Ephesus city, where uh, very worship many types of God, the goddess of Artemis, Diana, and they are acquainted with spiritual evil forces. And so here, Paul needs to remind them that they have this power as well, God's power. They reign supreme. And, God, and, Paul, and Paul went on and used the example of Christ's passion and resurrection to teach his readers about the power of God over all earthly and spiritual powers. And Paul was writing as a prisoner in Rome. And Rome at that time was the most powerful empire in the world. And during the time of Paul's writing, the Roman Empire stretched from England to southern Egypt and from Spain to Armenia. There was no power like the Roman Empire. Roman Empire reigned for many, many years. Some say about 600 years, some say 1,000 years. But yet, with the greatness of Rome as his background, Paul shows his reader that despite the momentary appearances of Roman power, it is Christ that is seated above all earthly power. Caesar is not sitting on heaven's throne, but Christ. 
Babylonian Empire lasted only 67 years. The Persian Empire lasted only 208 years. The Greek Empire lasted only 163 years. Roman Empire lasted maybe 600 to 1,000 years, depending on where you want to start and end. And not only in the power of God above Roman Empire, it is above any power for all ages to come. During the six, seven hundred years reign of Rome, it was Christ who was Lord over all. In the 12th century, when the Mongol Empire ruled modern Russia, it was Christ who was ruled over all. In the 16th, 17th century, when the British Empire ruled India, Australia, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Sudan, Canada, and the 13 original colonies of North America, it was Christ who was Lord over all. In 1945, when Nazi Germany ruled Poland, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, Serbia, Croatia, France, Norway, Denmark, and many other European countries, it was Christ who was Lord over all. And the point that Paul was driving is that earthly powers rise and fall, but the Lordship of Christ remains. We can all find hope in this. These are not fresh blessings. Paul is just explaining in verses 3 to 4 and then he bursts out in prayer. Say, Lord, please, Lord, enlighten the heart. Give them spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let them see, let them recognize what they already possess, what they already have. Paul prays that God will open our eyes to see what we already have and to grasp the significance of it. He prays that we would know the fullness of all that we have been given. You know, how would our lives be different if we really knew this from the bottom of our hearts? There are many things that we think we need, but Paul says you don't really need anything more than what you already have. Christ and what you have in is sufficient. In fact, to attempt to add to Christ is to take away from Him. We don't really need anything more. We need to just discover what we already have in Christ. Pray. I hope you do pray for this church. But what do we pray for this church? What do we pray for Pathway? Yes, we pray for needs. We pray for certain circumstances that we may be in. But pray for something more than that. Thank Him for His work among us. Every time you see faith or love being displayed, we thank God for that. That as a church, we are living up to what a genuine believer is supposed to be. We have faith and we have love. That is evidence that God works among us. Thank Him for that unceasingly. Pray that we will know God better. Pray that we will understand our hope our inheritance, the power that is available to us in Jesus Christ. There is a story about a man who was attempting to cross the frozen, frozen river in Canada. But he was unsure whether the ice would hold him. So the man first tested it by laying one hand on it, and then he got down on his knees 
and gingerly began making his way across, crawling. When he got to the middle of the frozen river, trembling with fear that might give way, he heard a noise behind him. Looking back, to his horror, he saw a team of horses pulling a carriage down the road towards the river, charging towards him. And upon reaching the river, they didn't stop, but bolted right onto the ice and dashed past him while he crawled there on all fours, turning a deep crimson. If only he had known how firm the ice really was, he wouldn't need to do all this. You know, dear friends, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are chosen by Him before the creation of the world. He sees us as holy and blameless because of Jesus. We are adopted as His sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. He, ex he, ex he extends His glorious grace to us through His Son. We have been redeemed through Jesus' blood. He forgives our sins, past, present, and future. We have access to His wisdom and knowledge. He has marked us with the seal of the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. You don't have to go down on your knees to crawl across that frozen lake. You don't have to. I pray that we won't be like the subway commuters walking by a $4 million Stradivarius violent and a world-class violinist. I pray that we will understand what we have and who we are in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we are so blessed. Forgive us. Many times we keep on looking for other things when all that we have is in Christ. So many people went on the search for other things. I have a friend who went to India to search for spiritual enlightenment where he grew up in a Christian faith. And after searching for 30, 40 years, he returned back and found Christ. All the world is there. Lord, we have spiritual blessing in Christ. Help us believers to know that, not just know that, but believe that with great conviction of what you say and who we are in Jesus Christ. When we discover that, Lord, we will live differently. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're a great God. You're a wonderful God. Thank you for loving us, caring for us, sending Jesus to die for us, redeem us, save us, forgive us, sanctify us, adopted us. Thank you for of all these wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. Help us to appropriate it, believe it, receive it. And the fullness of joy will be us as we will live confidently here, walking across the frozen lake, knowing that it is strong, it is hard, and it won't sink. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We worship you. 
We love you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to uh, sing this closing song, How Great is the Lord. <laughs>